The Racist Gus takes the afternoon off and goes to Express Lube to have the oil changed in his ram. On the way back, he passes the mall. He hates the mall, never goes. Hates shopping for everything but trucks, boats, and fishing gear. But he needs socks and underwear. So he stops, goes to Macy's, straight to where the socks and underwear used to be. Not here. Nothing here now but racks of those puffy jackets that weigh no more than a dollar bill. He bought one of those a couple years ago, bright orange, for when he walks the hound at night, so they don't get run over. He must look lost because he hears a lady, a sales clerk, ask, Can I help you? He looks around, sees a black woman, an older black woman, not old, just older, but good-looking, a good-looking older black woman, slim and trim, nice smile, hair straight and pulled back hard, showing off the smooth milk-chocolate skin of her pretty face. Socks and underwear, he says, used to be right here. Oh, God, that was ages ago, she says. Follow me. Hey, I'd follow you anywhere, he says, because that's the kind of crack He's been making to the pretty ladies since middle school. Walking ahead, not looking at him, she snaps back. What's the matter with you saying that to me when you got a ring on your finger? Hey, he's heard worse. Way worse. Once, he asked this black chick if she'd ever thought of sleeping with a white guy, and she looked him up and down and said, Not one as ugly as you. Ouch, he said and says again, but then adds, Hey, for you, I'd happily take it off. She doesn't say anything this time, just points to the socks and underwear department and walks away. He picks out what he wants, pays, then decides to go upstairs and get one of those big soft pretzels you dip in mustard. Hasn't had one of those since, since he can't remember when. A little crowded up at the food court. He has to wait in line. While waiting, he watches these four young punks bebopping around with their baseball caps turned brim backwards, listening to some crappy street jive music way too loud on one of those Bluetooth speakers hanging off the lead punk's belt loop. Gus wants to hassle them, tell them to turn the damn music down but decides to just get his soft pretzel and get out of Dodge, in his Dodge. Who needs the trouble? I don't need the trouble. Let the mall security guys handle it, or the cops. I'm staying disengaged. He reaches the front of the line, orders a pretzel with mustard and a Coke, swipes his Visa card, gets his booty, turns to go, figures he'll eat in the truck. Maybe with Spotify playing some Van Halen or Bon Jovi or Pearl Jam, not too loud. Crossing the food court, he again spots the four dipwads, three of them scrawny, acne-faced a-holes following their leader, a muscled-up type wearing a too-tight Lil Xan sleeveless t-shirt. They want hot dogs. Coney Island Franks, and they don't feel like waiting in line to get them. 
They push and shove and intimidate their way to the front. Well, almost to the front. A little black kid can't be more than four and a half feet tall, eight or nine years old, clutching a $10 bill in his fist, says in a high, squeaky voice, Hey, come on, man. Wait your turn. I've been waiting, and, and, and you got to wait, too. Lil Zan's sleeveless tee depicts a giant hand with a long middle finger flashing the bird. Very classy. He says in his own squeaky voice, Hey, wait your turn. I've been waiting, and you got to wait, too. His three scrawny flunkies get a big chuckle out of him mocking the little black kid. And that's when this bigger black kid, as big as Lil Xan, but not as muscled up, rolls onto the scene, says, Hey, yo, dude, don't be messing with my little brother, man. Little brother, huh? That's right, little brother. Been waiting a while to get himself a dog, so just back off and let the kid alone. Lil Xan turns to his buds, says, Amos here thinks we should be nice and let his little bro touch my dog. <laughs> and he turns and snatches that $10 bill out of the little black kid's hand, which causes Big Bro to give Lil Xan a shove, causing Lil Xan to immediately return the favor. They go back and forth a couple times. The little black kid takes his brother's hand, tries to lead him away, says, Ain't nothing good, Jerome. Ain't nothing good gonna happen here, Jerome. Come on. Well, that's when Lil Zan lets fly with a flurry of F-bombs and N-words all strung together in one long racist rant, which ends the shoving and sets in motion a full-fledged battle, a bare-knuckled brawl. Both Jerome and Lil Zan land solid punches to the face and head and chest. Some folks, women mostly, scream for them to stop fighting. Others, mostly boys and a few young men, cheer the fighters on. They want more. A ring of spectators closes in around the brawlers. Blood flies. Gus, well, Gus, he doesn't do dick. Just stands there, disengaged. Lil Zan and Jerome battle on and off the floor, kicking and swinging wildly, trying to tear each other's heads off. And then, and then the whistles, police whistles, and the sound of heavy running. Two cops, not mall cops, the real thing, sprint onto the scene. Spectators make way. A gap opens in the circle. The cops, two good-sized white guys with guns holstered on their hips, grab the two teenagers and pull them apart. The cops shove the white kid into a chair, tell him not to move. Then they push the black kid face down onto the grungy mall floor, wrench his arms behind his back, and lickety-split cuff the kid's wrists together. Someone in the crowd, a woman, a young white woman, doesn't like it. She shouts at the cops, Hey, yo, what's up with that? The black kid didn't do anything. That wise-ass white kid started all the trouble. Cuff his obnoxious ass, not the black kid. Others chime in with similar comments. Gus doesn't say a word. Jerome squirms around on the floor and lets fly his own flurry of obscenities. 
The cops pin him down with plenty of vim and vigor. The one big bruiser has him by the legs, and the other one has a knee planted firmly in the middle of Jerome's back. The little brother beats on the shoulders of the cop holding his brother's legs. Leave him alone. Leave my brother alone. He didn't do nothing. He didn't do nothing. The cop swats the little black kid away. The kid falls back, smacks his head on the floor, comes up woozy. Gus steps forward, but quickly steps back. The cops drip sweat. These are small-town cops who mostly do traffic stops and domestic violence calls. They're in over their heads. One of them shouts into the radio attached to his vest, Patrol 3 requesting backup, mall, third floor, food court, backup now, backup now. Blood runs from Jerome's nose and mouth and from a gash above his left eye. He's cursing and squirming and bleeding all over the floor. While Lil Zan sits there smirking. A woman screams, Jerome, Jerome. Her shouts come from some distance, but she's closing fast. A couple seconds later, she reaches the scene. It's the black woman who helped Gus with the socks and underwear. The one he made the cracks to about following her anywhere, about taking it off. What in God's name, she screams. What are you doing to my boy? She reaches into the handbag hanging over her shoulder. The big white cop with his knee on Jerome's back pulls his handgun and points it at the black woman's chest. The crowd, having witnessed this scene many, many times before, instantly grows quiet, waits for the blast, waits for the black woman to clutch her chest and fall back dead. Jerome's mother pulls a white cotton handkerchief out of that handbag and says, Fool, you put that damn gun away before you hurt someone. And she bends down and begins to wipe the blood from her injured son's face. Appetite gone? Gus tosses the pretzel and coke into the trash. He walks away, ashamed. Ashamed because he did nothing, said nothing, is nothing. Ashamed because, despite what he may think or say, he knows damn well he never would have made those cracks to a white woman.